0: with the Russian roulette piece. There are four bullets and some empty chambers and Michael yeah. Saylor, the CEO of MicroStrategy, has, he's he's turned the revolver wheel, pulled one. Bullet came out, but like missed his head. <laughs> this podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougles, that like to debate about investing content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast and especially before investing. We got a day-to-day skippy. We've got a day-to-day. Yeah, this episode might be 3 hours long. Buckle up. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, it's good. It's good. This is a good week, an exhausting one, uh, but a good one. Are things on the up and to the right in your world? Relatively speaking. Ah, uh, yeah, I'd say so. I, I'm definitely blessed. I uh, it's so funny when we first kicked off the pod. I remember saying like, "There's not enough to talk about week to week." You know, like there's just that's that's the wrong structure. And there is so much financial news and interesting you know, other like financial minutiae this week, uh, and there has been pretty much every week that I'm just shocked by it. When we were first talking, it was uh, individual stocks, momentum, and value, and <laughs> in, th- in that world. Um, that world, there are always things we could talk about but you start to get pretty esoteric. But if you start to expand it, gosh. Sorry for my yeah, French. Well, <laughs> and, and it seems like we're now at a point in this potential bubble where uh, people are creating new assets to explore and have fun with and watch go boom in the night. We won't talk about this in detail today, but I saw another hedge fund kind of blow up uh, betting against uh, AMC. And oh, then yeah. the retail tra- traders got back at him, and that's a funny thing that I don't feel like existed ten years ago. Um, the kind of Reddit versus the Reddit versus Wall Street. Wouldn't you just not touch that? I mean, it just seems like right now, if you're a hedge fund, just y- there's so many things you could do or not do. Why would you bet against AMC? It, it does like it's. I, mean, I, I would if I was if I was an LP. I think that's got negligence written all over it. Like, I'd be like, that is just silly. Egos, man, my, my view. I, egos, the eagles, like, yeah. Band. <laughs> so we talked about it a while back and I think we, we got to bring it forward because you were hot when we talked Biden's tax initiative on if he was going to get agreement in the global community. Did that happen this week? It seems like they're, they're going on a path. I mean, they, they at least they met over a couple days and got a handshake going on. And so. The G7 is effectively said we're good with doing something that's at a minimum a 15% global tax rate. Specifically, I think they they're tying it to the largest and most profitable companies in the world. What that means, we don't know because they're also trying to at least Yellen specifically is trying to get Amazon in there, which is large, but not all that profitable. And so I don't know how they're going to end up defining it, but it seems like that, that's where the landing still a bunch of negotiations, right? And Congress has yeah. to, at least in the U S yeah. Congress has to say, okay, too. I mean, can I just rant on this a little bit? I have seen like 45 pictures of the G seven and they all have like 11 people in them. And that is confusing to me. What's going on with that. They're all spaced six feet apart. Like one is with the queen. Why did they give the queen of England? Like, why does she get to take a picture of the G seven? I mean, it's mostly, uh because they did it the meeting was in england it was in the uk yeah and that's so still... so you, you have to go around and i don't think they would have flown to queen to sweden or wherever if you know i'm, I mean, I'm not sure why they the meetings in, in the u.s in do i get to take pictures with the g7 like the queen is you are the american version of the queen of england that is true <laughs> that is true so yeah what no, i, I what i heard is roughly shooting for a 15 percent floor the question i immediately had that i hope you can answer because again i didn't do a deep dive on this is So what if I'm not part of the G seven, why, why don't I just become a tax haven? Because I go, Hey, the rest of the industrialized world is going to hold you to 50%. I'm only going to charge you 10. Is there a loophole there? A lot of the, to, to your point around tax havens, a lot of the ways the tax havens, uh, support these big companies is the big companies claim. The IP is housed in this, the IP that generates the profits, right. are housed in this country. Therefore that country's tax rates are what matter. And so that I think that's that's going to end up being what they target is saying, for example, something like if you if your headquarters, you're like your global headquarters is in the US, then this applies to you, like things like that, so that you can't say Ireland is where, you know, Microsoft's IP that generates the windows profit in Europe is located i think i think that's kind of what they're what they're after it was you mentioned ireland before i just mentioned it right now but yeah one quote i did see from ireland from the irish uh, finance minister was like don't forget about the small people like that was the that, that was all there was no detail behind it it's just that it's like why would you put like it's all g7 like it was like what does the french minister say what is the and then it goes and the irish finance minister says don't forget about us it was like the <sighs> end of breakfast club it it sounds like the author missed a little because that is an important thing. There's a lot of U.S. tax havens in Ireland. Um, Ireland's a very desirable place um, for a lot of reasons. Taxes being one of those. And so I'll be, I think we'll follow up as more news trickles in with formal agreements yep. on this, but it's interesting and, and good, potentially good, that there is a little more yeah. consistency yeah. here. I, I like it. I agree. I think your, your question is one that, many articles should actually be written about. And there should be more about Ireland as opposed to just saying like what feels a like kind of a throw away disrespectful quote thrown at the end of an article. <laughs> that you're well, up. yeah, right now. I mean, Germany doesn't have a super low tax rate, nor does England, nor does the rest of the G7. Yet yeah. Apple is funneling billions and billions of profits through Ireland to only pay 10 or 12%. So how does this agreement change that? Um, we'll follow up. He goes, that actually reminds me. I was thinking about borrowing $400 million. If you borrowed $400 million, what might you do with it? Well, there's only one thing to do with it What's you buy that? more Bitcoin. <laughs> I want to hold. So, yeah, yeah, you hold strong, you buy more. Diving Before hands? we get into this, so this is you're referencing uh, what MicroStrategy is doing, which we talked about a few episodes back. The MicroStrategy has said historically, we have been an analytics company. Now we are becoming a Bitcoin slash analytics company. So they just started buying so much Bitcoin. Before, I'm I'm gonna drop another quote there. Before we do that, can you do me the favor of allowing your ears to hear this beautiful siren song that the MicroStrategy CEO came out with? This was actually a couple months back, but it's still so wonderful. You ready for this? If I told you I know how it all ends, right? Once you know how it all ends, that the, the only use of time is how do I buy more Bitcoin? <laughs> but take all your money, buy Bitcoin, then take all your time, figure out how to borrow more money to buy more Bitcoin, then take all your time and figure out what you can sell to buy Bitcoin. And if you absolutely love the thing that you're that you don't want to sell it, Go mortgage your house and buy Bitcoin with it. And if you've got a business that you love because your family works for the business that's in your family for 37 years and you can't bear to sell it, mortgage it, finance it, and convert the proceeds into the hardest money on earth, which is Bitcoin. Can we talk about that? So, oh, wow. that's He's more over the deep end than I realized. So to add to this and to try and close the loop, um, for the longest time, MicroStrategy, again, this analytics company, or what started as an analytics company, has just been taking profits and cash on hand to buy Bitcoin. This week, they did a $400 million borrowing of junk bonds at 6.5%. For those who don't know, that's a very high rate in the current environment. That's why it's considered a junk bond. The reason it's considered a junk bond, I mean, I I can't believe they got 6.5%, but who in their right mind is... Who, who's on the other side of that trade first of all douglas like who says hey i have 400 million dollars laying around let's give it a micro strategy i know they're gonna buy bitcoin with it and i'm only gonna buy them six and a half percent like if bitcoin goes up they have no problem repaying that if bitcoin goes down they're bankrupt like i i don't get that side of it but this is crazy man regardless of let's pretend he's not talking about bitcoin because I understand the merits of the Bitcoin investment in many people's eyes. I, and I understand how you can create a logical argument for it. Let's say this is any asset. Let's say this is one of Dougal's favorite stocks, like pool corporation. Let's say it's, um, gold, which a lot of people say Bitcoin is digital gold. Let's say it's real estate, that lack of diversification. It's really unfortunate. It's irresponsible. It is. And I mean, the the, the irresponsibility is in basically the, the action they took at the same time as doing this was writing off or writing down the value of their previous Bitcoin holdings because Bitcoin has dropped or lost, right? So you it's to, to take your example. If I hopped on here and I said, Skippy, pool, go on to the moon. You yeah. got to get into the pool. And you're like, oh, well, let me take a look. And I said, just FYI, FYI, I had to write down my last investment in pool by 70%. Now, will you be willing to buy the debt that I'm going to issue so I can buy more of it? You would get in your car and come down here and have an (laughs) intervention. Well, you know, I would, but actually that, that doesn't bother me as much. So I might go, Hey, I think you're, I, I think you're a little crazy. I think you're a little snake bit, but it's your money and it's your conviction. And I I would try and tuck you off the ledge, but you and your family are the only ones that pay for that. You're not what running a corporation. I think we looked at this in the past, but I forget how many employees work at MicroStrategy. Let's just say it's 400 people. It might be way more. It might be way less. Like The livelihoods of those 400 people depend on Michael Saylor and his conviction here. And I just can't understand... I'm happy he's convicted about something and I'm happy he has strong beliefs, I guess, but don't take your business down with you. He's probably a very wealthy man who could invest a lot of his personal wealth in Bitcoin. I, I just have never understood the desire to create take this business and turn it into something that it was never intended to be. Yeah, that's right. That is a, that's a significant distinction that he is doing this through a publicly traded organization. It's not his personal money. And almost 2,000 people work at MicroStrategy. Yeah, so I mean, it used to be kind of cute. It used to be like, oh, this this company is trying to zig when everyone else is zag. They they think they understand something that no one else understands. And it started off like, oh, we're gonna hold our cash reserves and Bitcoin and everything else. It's gotten to a point where I think it's near mania. And we talked about process versus outcomes last week. I don't care what the outcome is here. Bitcoin might go to two hundred thousand dollars and he might laugh all the way to the bank. It's still a horrible process, and it's a bad decision at this point in time yeah and if he wants it's- to come on the pot, I would be happy to tell him that yeah and this is this is the uh metaphor that we've I've brought up a few times here that Taleb mentions in his his book Fooled by Randomness with the Russian roulette piece there are four bullets and some empty chambers and Michael yeah. Saylor the CEO of MicroStrategy has he's he's turned the revolver wheel pulled one bullet came out but like missed his head <laughs> and he said hold on let me try that again hold on hold on let me reload let me take some debt to increase my leverage which effectively puts another bullet in the chamber like exactly in this analogy <laughs> if you go if you have a bad process with a bad investment idea and you take debt to do it you're just a worse than yeah, you're adding lost. more bullets you're adding more bullets oh man so, I mean I wish you the best and I certainly wish the 2000 employees at MicroStrategy the best And, and again, sometime I think we should do a deep dive on the investment hypothesis for Bitcoin. I understand how people can be bullish on this thing in a way that I didn't necessarily understand six months ago, but diversification is always a good thing. So just since he's turned his company into an investment company, I think he should read some basics from whether it's Benjamin Graham or Jason Swiger whoever else bill Bernstein who cares pick up a book on someone that knows anything about basic investment fundamentals and no one's gonna say put a hundred percent of your junk in this and think, do it with leverage like that I think we, I think we should put together a little care package throw a couple Bogle books in there throw some Graham in there put a little Templeton in there and then yeah. mail it to uh, MicroStrategy HQ care of Michael Saylor yep via Skippy and Deagles I'm happy to throw in for that all right, let's do it. Seems like a good idea. See what the response uh, is. The, the so the other Bitcoin thing, and it's more crypto, right? That happened this week. Coinbase teamed up. We we've been talking about Coinbase for a while with the IPO and everything else. And this was a piece of the business strategy that I didn't foresee coming. So good for them. Nice work. It teamed up with a four hundred one k provider called For All Us. Do I have that right? For, for us? us all. For us all. For yeah. us all. And uh, basically said they're going to allow people in that provider to invest as much as 5% of their retirement f- portfolio in cryptos. Your thoughts on this? This is the 401k provider that my organization uses. And so I see this, I text my, my wife, I'm downstairs in the, uh, like the office, my office in the basement, I text my wife and I text her the article and I was like, we're doing it YOLO. <laughs> and I immediately hear footsteps. Upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> Knock on the office door. <laughs> anyway, and? there wasn't there weren't was there weren't pleasantries. Yeah, there weren't pleasantries <laughs> on the other side of that. I you know, look, there's going to be a time um, when when there are crypto ETFs sometime in the future, there's better regulation in the US. That I think this is gonna be something that could potentially make sense depending on what where crypto goes. Right now, my strong belief is that this is just a marketing ploy that they are trying to get attention so that um, there are more organizations that switch over because especially what's happened in the last few months with dogecoin your favorite investment and uh, bitcoin's volatility right the volatility in the broad crypto market volatility and 401k are like not in the same world i'm not saying you can't do things with your 401k that that might lose value but it's just not wise I I just, I don't see what the the value to the end investor is in this current environment. A lot of people, when they talk crypto, it's hard because there's so many different coins with so many different uses, but let's talk about like the top 10 or the top 20 coin. The most recognized are probably Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, Bitcoin, basically the investment hypothesis is digital gold that there's never any more of. And then Ethereum's a, a platform that you can build things off. And the rest, well, not the rest, but others I've heard compared to trading currencies like foreign exchange trading. Your 401k doesn't offer you the ability to trade dollars against euros or dollars against yen or like because that would be insane. So I just don't understand. <laughs> I, I don't understand the fit here. I will say, and I don't think most people understand this about uh, cryptos. The Like one of my favorite coins is called Stellar. And it's basically, it serves a purpose. It's a company where it's trying to um, transfer money across the world in a more cost-effective way. That's a $600 billion market. So that coin, in my eyes, if it ever gets fully adopted, will be worth money. And the way... or That company I'll call it, which is also the coin will be valuable. And the value will show up in that coin rather than in that company's stock, because it's just structured differently. So I do understand that some of these are real businesses that it's like buying equity, but I think right now that's the exception rather than the rule. I think most of the other stuff, I mean, Dogecoin is, there's no value there, Bitcoin There's no value there outside of maybe being a secure store of currency it's just really interesting but good for them because you know how you get prices to go up Douglas. you continually expand the uh the demand and what they did with getting people to the ability to buy this in their 401k is expand the market and therefore expand the demand and the again the bull case for crypto is it's not like a US company that you're getting US investors excited about. The bull case for crypto is you get Bitcoin, you get the world excited about Bitcoin and everyone buys it from their cell phone. You get the world excited about Ethereum and everyone buys it from your cell phone. So then you're talking about instead of 350 million people, you're talking about seven billion people, and of course, and you go back to basic economics: supply and demand. I mean, that's the bull case for all the crypto stuff is there's just the ability to have much greater demand, right? And I'm pulling on the, the Bitcoin thread in particular and the remittances thread that you brought up before around sending money around. The yeah. coolest president in the world, self-named Naib Bukele, of El Salvador has made Bitcoin a legal tender of the country. You okay if I if I give a little, little context around this, because this is a plot straight out of National Treasure or James Bond, right now. (laughs) This man has said that he is going to use the power of the volcanoes to create more currency. Right. Um, And when, when you start to break down the science, it's not crazy. But just I just picture like picture Nicolas Cage, right running out of a volcano. And the his main (laughs) nemesis, using that to print money, like, right, it's a it's kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, in all seriousness, so uh, a little bit of background, El Salvador uh, hasn't had its own currency really, for about 20 years. So back in 2000, El Salvador adopted the US dollar as their official currency, Now they still had their currency, but in all practicality, it basically uh, went Mm -hmm. away. And a large reason, why they did this was because of remittances that were sent back to the country. So I think it was a, some material percent of El Salvadorians didn't live in El Salvador. And a lot of them lived in the U.S. And so they'd send U.S. dollars back. People would trade their U.S. dollars in. It made their currency spike, etc. Yeah. So that's been the case for the last 20 years. And now he's saying Bitcoin will also be legal tender. I, I tie this into what you were saying there, um, because what it part of what it could mean from an investment standpoint Is that the "quote-unquote" investing in Bitcoin, the capital gains that would come from that are now tax-free in El Salvador, because you're just holding your own currency? Actually, oh whoa, good work. I hadn't even thought about that, but that could be a huge win for the people of El Salvador if they're still considering this an investment vehicle. Why does Bitcoin suck as legal tender? I'm not saying it always will, but right now it's really expensive to trade. The mining fees are high. Um, It's very volatile. And it's very slow. So El Salvador is in a unique, I mean, the background you gave there enlightens why it's in a unique perspective and why this might not be super crazy. But are people buying their coffee with Bitcoin ever? I'm not really sure that they are. I think you're kind of like when you make Bitcoin legal tender in your country, I think you're kind of telling businesses that now they have to accept it, Right. So you definitely are doing that. The thing I didn't see answered and I I know this came together very quickly is like who's responsible for paying the miner fee? It has to be the purchaser, right? So if I buy my $5 cup of coffee and that costs me $20 in mining fees, I would be responsible to pay $25 I assume worth of bitcoin for the coffee shop to receive $5. I mean that's gotta be how it works right i don't know but if i don't know exactly how it's working on the back end but the fact that they're they're setting up i can't remember what what they're calling it but they're setting up like a bitcoin trust of of some sort in at the government level in el salvador and they're using the power of the kraken in the volcanoes (laughs) right to 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 mine and so i i don't know if the government is subsidizing some of the mining i don't know how they're going to I'm not exactly sure how they how they're gonna make this work. I don't know. Yeah, well, it another could... thing you could do. Sorry to interrupt. Um, they they could buy a significant amount, and then they could basically keep their own public ledger without paying the mining fees. Like say, El Salvador owns a hundred bitcoins, and it they we keep track of how they get exchanges and who's the current ownership of that. I'll tell you my favorite Bitcoin investment hypothesis right now. If the thing tanks, I'm certainly buying three Bitcoins so I can have a surf lodge on the beach in El Salvador, because that's another thing he said. He said, anyone that holds more than three Bitcoin, uh, current value somewhere around, what, 100K, gets free citizens to El Salvador. That's amazing. That's super, super cool. Is it free if it costs $100,000? Well, it's effectively free if you bought Bitcoin 11 years back. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. The beauty of Bitcoin though, right? Is that it's untraceable. (laughs) All right. Let me read this. Let me read this headline. Did you, didn't think this, right? The wall street, no, the New York times. Okay. Not quite as reputable as the wall street journal when it comes to financial news has an article the the title is actually pipeline investigation upends the idea that Bitcoin is untraceable. Who thought Bitcoin was untraceable anybody? Most people don't know what Bitcoin really is in the end. So I'm sure that they probably, uh, there are probably many people that thought that anonymity is uh, synonymous with untraceable. Yeah, uh, but for those who don't know, the whole idea behind a blockchain is it's a public ledger, public traceable. (laughs) (laughs) So, So uh this is interesting though. This goes back to a a gas pipeline on the East Coast. Uh 3 weeks ago or so, everyone's hollering about they can't get gas and there's people lining up for gas. <laughs> there are people filling plastic bags with gasoline, which is the worst idea <laughs> ever. <laughs> and uh this gas pipeline supplier was hacked. I think uh, by a firm in Russia or, you know, some bad guys in Russia and they paid $4.4 million current value at the time in Bitcoin uh, as a ransom to get their software back online so they could operate their pipeline right to get back to, to why people were filling their why they were filling any vessel I should say with uh, with gasoline um, I don't know why paper plastic bags or paper bags but yet and still uh, this so as you mentioned, there's a pipeline on the east coast, but it's the pipeline on the east yeah. coast. So, 45 percent of the like gasoline and diesel fuel goes to this pipeline. It runs from like Texas to New York. It's huge, uh, and so it created a panic when its software systems were hacked because they didn't know how long it'd be hacked. If it was the the way that I uh, that I've seen, it was if it was down for a couple of days, it'd be like if there was a hurricane, right? Like that happens. Nope. But the CEO didn't know how long its systems would be held ransom, so that, that's why they end up paying this fa- fine because it's it's a big deal, uh, and so like states were running or places were running out of gas because people were filling their plastic bags and the gas was going through, so they kept filling it, and so <laughs> there were places that <laughs> running out of gas. I, some stats I saw: eighty percent of gas stations uh, in Washington D.C. didn't have any fuel. Eighty percent. That is wow. That is crazy. How are people going to be going on the beltway? they can't so get this the us government managed to recover the large majority of the 4.4 4 million dollars so when i first saw that headline i was just baffled because again bitcoin is perfectly traceable it's public completely public as is almost every other cryptocurrency built on blockchain but it's typically when a ransom is paid you're not uh anonymous right so basically you know where the money went you don't know who owns the money what happened here is a couple things that make me laugh first is the way so first is they paid 4.4 million dollars the us government recovered 2.3 million dollars because the value of bitcoin in that like three week stretch was basically cut in half so that's kind of hilarious even though this gas line supplier gets their money back they still lost two million dollars just because of volatility with bitcoin Uh, the other thing is how they recovered this money. Do you know this, Diggles? Is this a good quiz for you? Do you know that how they actually got the money back? I I didn't think that they. I mean, I know at the high level you have to get the private key of, but I I don't know exactly how they got it. So basically, these hackers weren't great enough hackers to disguise their private key. They they figured out not the true identity, but like maybe the they haven't come out and said, but smart people that know Bitcoin well have basically said they found a way to hack back into their computers, discover their private key, basically their password to this money, and then kind of pull the money back. So they almost got away with a uh, significant fortune, but it turns out they didn't. If you were thinking about doing criminal activity, which I do not recommend <laughs> using cryptocurrency, please understand that there's a public ledger, like just start there. So let me mention this, actually, Uh, they quoted someone from the FBI and they said in a way uh, this was a lot easier than recovering funds transferred to like a Swiss bank account because of the public ledger. So they said normally we'd send out all these subpoenas and it might take weeks for us to get the records we need in terms of like basically the ledger. We went to the blockchain and we're like, oh, we know it went here. We don't necessarily know how to unlock that just yet. We don't know who owns that, but we know exactly where it is. So there's yeah. pros and cons to this. And uh, yeah, I guess that's not as widely known as I thought it might be. But yeah. Bitcoin is definitely traceable, 100% traceable. Um, yeah, which it was took like less than a month, g- to your point. That's that's really fast. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. So we've talked a lot of cryptos. I'm, I'm cur- worried about crypto fatigue. I have a quiz for you. You ready? Let's do it. Born ready. There's a new movement in Asia called Lying Flat. And I feel like the translation might not be coming through here correctly. Do you know what Lying Flat means? Was this like when people were T-bowing like a decade ago? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Keep keep the guesses coming. It's not that. Um, Josh, (laughs) I'm just picturing... Like 2 billion people lying on the ground. Like I, I can't, and I can't get past that image. I don't, I don't know what positivity comes from that. All right. This is from, uh, insider Asia on Twitter. So, um, there's a current movement in China, uh, called line fat flat. Again, I think the translation might not be coming through, which advocates lying down instead of working hard, but they don't literally mean lying down. Basically the Chinese youth appear to be rejecting a life of that's Constant competition. And so the typical Chinese um, work culture is a 996 culture. What that means is people working 12 hours a day from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a week. Significant, right? And right. It, lifestyle strongly championed by Jack Ma, friend of the podcast, right? So in this uh, survey they sent out, they said, Young people, what are you currently striving to achieve? 63 percent said lying flat i guess what shocked me for this is and the other two options are versus career progression or top grades in school what shocks me here is i always really like personally struggle with work-life balance um time with family time you know like just the balance of everything for a happy and healthy life and it seems clear to me that the way i with the blessings i have and like the way i was re- raised i don't necessarily desire to work 12 hours a day six days a week with a long commute and everything else you know like w- what do you think about seeing that kind of rebellion i'll call it in asia and what might that mean for future culture well it's, it's not surprising i've even i mean if you look at what uh, the newer generations even in the u.s like what they, what they're talking about um, in relation to what they believe work should do or not do for them. The lying flat phrase, like I hadn't seen in this country, but it's generally about something bigger than, than yourself is what, if you're going to strive for something, it's about a greater good. It's like, it's just a generally culturally is what comes out. So if, if lying flat does translate, I don't mean language translation, but like manifest itself in, I want to sit on my couch and watch Netflix and chill. That's like, that's one thing. But then the other, the other is if it's if it's not just about working for the sake of the prize, meaning monetary, you know, financial gain. That that's not surprising. And also, through one of my investments, which we've talked about in the past, um, which has been taking a big hit because of a lot of things that are happening uh, in China right now, I know through researching there that there's a big. I don't. I wouldn't have called it a movement before, but now you've got that word in my mind. But I know the Chinese government has at least come out and said a lot that uh, that they want, and this might. This might be because they're trying to appeal partially uh, to this population but they want a lot of the pressure on chinese education to um to be taken back right they feel like there's too much pressure on getting good grades too much pressure on career progression and so they're doing things like saying that uh weekend tutoring after school tutoring the predatory practices need to stop the weekend tutoring sessions need to stop a lot of that and it feels like that might be tied in right to, to this broader cultural movement i think you hit on it first and foremost like I'm not opposed to working 72 hours a week, which is what the standard Chinese work week is. If it's something that you're engaged in, that something that you wholeheartedly believe in with your soul, I don't think the large majority of these people feel like that's the endeavor they're given, right? I don't know if it is anything or not, but it it caught my interest this week and it's something I'd like to learn more about. Um, And yeah, maybe that rebellion is happening all over the world. I know. Our younger employees definitely have a different vibe, and I tend to embrace it. I kind of like uh, that they are striving for more. Um, they're certainly not like my parents' generation of showing up, being happy, regardless of what they're told to do, and just being so thankful for a paycheck. Like it, There's more of a balance between uh, working rewards and life. Let's see how this plays out. I think it's, I think it's probably a necessary pushback. Yeah, Definitely. So uh to switch gears slightly, Douglas, did you hear the quote from the BlackRock CEO uh this week? Spit on it. He said, Oh, I'm so happy I just bought my eight hundred thousand thousandth dream home. <laughs> That's uh, another quote that you when you hear from me, can you please drive down here? And <laughs> and I butchered that. I I saw the joke online and I don't think it was exactly that. Uh So, what we're talking about here is not necessarily BlackRock. There's a lot of big investment firms that tell me if I I got this right, Diggles. The way I'm interpreting this, basically, it's a low yield world. There's tons of capital available and there's no place to put that capital. And so people are getting creative and they seem to be getting creative by buying what I'd call your typical American suburban home. So, the article that came out let me just confirm so we can give uh credit here in the wall street journal talks about blackrock specifically blackrock is a um, investment firm buying basically every single family home they can buy uh, can find and paying as much as 50 percent over asking price thoughts it's on insane. this i have a lot of thoughts but the the, uh, the details of this matter so much right because there there's one train of thought that says, "How is anyone else going to be able to afford a home if you have corporations that are coming in and buying over fifty percent or yeah. over asking?" Right. That's that's the first thought. If they're buying every home, that makes it that makes it pretty hard for other people to buy. Um, but yeah. I, I'd want to dive into the detail to figure out is that is that exactly what's happening or what's gone on? Yeah. So I don't what's think it's read? every home. I mean, I think there's some hyperbole here. Here's what I'll say to me, this entire story just screams unintended consequences. Like no one in the Fed, it's, it's really hard to isolate a single root cause here. I think there's a thousand things coming together, but no one intended this to happen. Not even the investment firms that are buying these things. They just don't have anywhere else that they can sell to their board or their senior leadership as a good investment. Let me give you a few stats as we, as we talk about this. And um, so first, all, first off, let's talk about the total value of U.S. rental homes. In uh, call it 2007, the total value of all U.S. rental homes was about $2.5 trillion. Oh, okay. In uh, like 2011, it bottomed out at about like two point two trillion. Today it's at four point five trillion dollars. Whoa. Just straight up and to the right. So basically doubling over the last 2011. Decade. Doubling. Now some of that's price appreciation for sure. But also that's the fact that I feel like it used to be uncommon for a typical suburban standalone home with a backyard and everything else to be a rental. And now that's become, uh, there's an article two weeks ago about a company partnering with toll brothers to build a brand new subdivision of 152 homes, I think. And none of the homes ever went up for purchase. It was entirely sold as a rental community. It's a whole new thing. So instead of buying apartment complexes, people are buying basically entire subdivisions. That's crazy. Where, yeah, where does this end? I mean, we're just, it, oh my goodness. It's frightening. I think your point around unintended consequences from the, the Fed like side of things, I think that's one that's leading to this. And then I also am thinking about the unintended consequences of, of the actual purchases. This is scary. Yeah, so I don't know where this goes or how it blows up. I mean, it's always natural for me to think that when too much money floods into one specific area that eventually creates a bubble and that bubble eventually pops. We we, we may need to bring a real estate expert on the show because we're talking about real estate more and more um, with home prices and lack of inventory and everything else. What I didn't know until this week necessarily is how much... I'll call it wall street and investment firms have played into the struggling demand or or the lack of supply i just wasn't aware of that my my head goes to like a the macro picture like you you brought the real estate point but we were was it last week the week before i can't quite remember but in just thinking about how the fed right now is saying that what we're seeing in inflation is most likely temporary right nothing to see here don't look at the man behind the curtain and then stuff like this, it's like there is there's institution, nearly unlimited buying power that is propping up prices in one of the larger markets uh, in the u s by fifty percent. I mean, i'm I'm, you know, extending that. That's insane. And so even if even if the the inflation that they were talking about, right, because there are lots of reasons why you could say that the cpi, um the consumer price index, right numbers that we saw mm-hmm. before, lots of reasons why that could be you can misconstrue that right um but then this is the continuation of it and all of the supply shocks that we're seeing that are leading to price increases institutional money coming in if, with basically free dollars that are propping up prices and i would i'd want to talk to an economist let's let's continue to talk about unintended consequences we want greater participation in the equity markets that's like the skipping doogles thing we want people out increasing their wealth you know how your average american increases you know where the majority of their wealth lies in home ownership if you're making homes more expensive or not even available at all you are yes 20 years from now you have a lot more people who don't know anything about investing but knew that it seemed to make sense to own a home um, that don't get a ride that wave of appreciation of home sales. That's a bad thing in my eyes. The other thing that's off quoted is, uh, a home sale creates like so much money for the economy. Cause what you do when you buy a home is then you go to Home Depot and you buy a bunch of stuff for your home. And then you hire contractors who work on your home and everything else in this rental world. I don't think you get the same economic benefit that you would from a home sale. Now, I'm not saying that contractors don't fix the rental homes 10 years down the line and everything else, but I don't think a renter, even if it's a single-family home, spends necessarily like the same amount of economic benefit fixing that up and making it their own. I could be completely wrong in that speculation, but I yeah. wonder. It's logical. I think your train of thought's logical. We'll have to see. Yeah. It's hard to imagine this movie ending well, but I still got the popcorn. <laughs> but this one, I mean, what, how does this one end? Oh, Skippy, Skippy, Skippy. Man, this, I tell you, one year from today, oh, yeah. it's going to be a thing. Like this, it just, it's, it's, we're, 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 someone's rolling the snowball up the hill and we don't know. We don't know when it's gonna start to go downhill, but it's escalating real quickly. Like we are getting to, at the government level, we're getting to a point where the fed, the double fed, the double headed fed that we have in Yellen and Powell, uh, they can't be sleeping. Like that's that's all I gotta say. Cause you're thinking about inflation and interest rates all the time. And now you're bringing in global taxes. Your president's trying to, you know, run around with the black American express card. Like you just don't (laughs) sleep. So you're calling your shot here one year from now? I think one year from well, I'm saying I'm saying one year from now, our conversation is going to be like freaking fascinating, because I think we're going to start to see where the like, we're different parts of the movie. It may not be when things are go down, but but some of this has got to come to a head. I mean, we're already seeing hedge funds, funds blow up from this. I think we're going to start seeing some additional bankruptcies, most likely toward the end of this year, first half of next year. I, it's hard for me to imagine the Fed isn't talking about raising interest rates. Right, so like I think we're going to we're going to see something yeah I mean the the counterbalances, personal and corporate balance sheets, in most cases still have like more cash on hand than they've had in the past 20, 30 years. So people are should be a little more resilient to the coming storm. I don't know where the cracks are. I think there's a bunch of cracks. I don't know which ones actually turn into like significant um, problems. Yeah, agreed. It's the, the cash that folks have on hand. Absolutely. That's true. And there's this, uh, it it could be more than a trifecta, but I'll bring in the trifecta just from my point of view, from a, from a cash not being worth as much from an inflation standpoint, you actually not having that cash because now you've decided to invest it in places that might blow yeah. up to your write down point and interest rates going up, meaning that your cost of servicing that debt that you took out is up any comment like any one of those things could create a bad situation if all three of those things end up coming in into play we'll see and we got to get real creative not we you and i will be fine most likely right um because we're we're not buying homes at 50 percent above asking i didn't just to be clear yeah you you tried Um, to but (laughs) yeah i know they wouldn't let me (laughs) (laughs) your pixar Um, movie got it covered um i mean I now hold uh, a timber company, so I, I'm yeah, sure you're going to have some pain on the way down. All right. So <laughs> like, when the housing thing busts, I'm going to feel that pain for sure. Um, so there's this public article. It's called The Secret IRS Files. Trove of never-before-seen records reveal how the wealthiest avoid income tax. So Who I do they steal read- these records from, Douglas? I, I don't know where they, they're these were not, uh, I'm not going to say that they weren't legally obtained, but they they were obtained against the will of the individuals, okay. right? Or at least not with the will of the individuals. But it looks at the, they're the 25 richest people in the US. So you've got people like Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, etc. cetera. And they're looking at their tax returns, and I don't know if it's the same for all of them, but going back to like 2006, so it's about 15 years of returns, and looking at how much tax they paid by year, um, you, I could not, I didn't see this, um, they could see the different line items. So what their actual reported income is, what their investment income was, uh, et cetera, right? So they have your tax returns. And what the, the article, the title, is a, to me, it was a bit misleading but I can understand how this might be the perception of some. But when I look at a phrase like avoid income tax, it makes me think creating tax havens in the Canary Islands. Yeah. And right. Mostly what this was saying was that the wealth that was created by these individuals was not taxed. And so yeah. meaning, right. Like Warren Buffett, do you know how much Warren Buffett um, gets paid annually? Technically he gets hundred K, but yeah. like, last year his total income reported was 125 million the main point here is it's looking at what their the value the valuation of whatever stock that they're holding like what's happened yeah. there and then assessing what their true tax rate should have been and what their actual tax rate was and to me that's i don't know it's, it's a bit it's misleading i think in a lot of ways now there are parts of the article that go into it from a different angle the reason i let me just to clarify my my view is because if you say that amazon stock doubles in a year and he like so therefore jeff bezos should have paid whatever that amount i'm making up a number here but like 30 billion dollars times 38 percent, right then that's you're 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 basically saying that we believe that we should tax based on assets held and you could extrapolate is, that you can go beyond stock right which is not a tax code i'll hold i'll hold my rant for a second but that's not how we said we were going to tax people so Exactly, and don't yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, um, just I'll give a like a a couple stats from the article here. Well, first a quote. This quote, this kind of gets back to what you were talking about around uh, Bitcoin and the 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 myth around traceability. Right here's another myth that's stated here that I was like, was that a was that a believer? (laughs) Um, The quote is, "It demolishes the cornerstone myth of the American tax system that everyone pays their fair share and the richest Americans pay the most." It's like who who believed that? Like, isn't the whole, I think everyone says no one, like the, the fair share isn't paid by the rich. Like, I don't think that that was ever really a thing. On that specifically, you can pull whatever stats you want to make your argument there. I, I don't know the exact stats, but the top 1% or the top 10% do pay like 70% of all the gross dollar taxes that show up in the book. So in a way, yes, they do pay their fair share. And it, it depends on your perspective and your frame of mind. Absolutely. I get fired up about these things. So one, I like the graphics in this article a lot and I appreciate the reporting, but this is not much ado about nothing, but a little like conflating paper wealth with tax rates in a way that our tax code simply doesn't do things. And there's a reason for that. If you own a business and let's say it's a private business, cause it's an easier case to understand and you get five more clients one year and your revenues double, like we, we likely know that that business is worth more money than it used to be, but we don't have a true specific value assigned to that. So we don't go to the owner of that business and go, hey, it looks like you got a bunch of new clients and it looks like your future prospects are great. Give us a whole bunch of tax money. No, we say, how much, what were your profits at the end of the year and pay us taxes on that? And that makes sense because speculating at the true value of the business at any given point in time is an inexact science, right? that's effectively what the stock press does so when you say the value of amazon just because there happens to be a public stock that's traded and the value of amazon right now i'd argue and i think jeff bezos would argue is disconnected from the true value of that company on the high side he shouldn't have to pay taxes because the speculators go crazy let's talk about amc for a second and you're really going to get me fired up should amc have to pay significant taxes because they're worthless business, which they said, this is last week's episode. They went out and said our business is basically worthless. Should they have to pay taxes because some speculators on Reddit decided to buy a bunch of their company? And so the value that's assigned to their company in the stock market is not the true value of their company. And plus the value of your company is a discounted cash flow over the next 20, 30 years. You you don't pay taxes on the value of something thirty years out. You pay taxes on the profit you made today. Yeah, yeah. Now there was one part. There's one part of the article that I hadn't thought about a lot. That that I, I, I makes makes this start to become kind of interesting. And I agree to go back to um, a couple of the points you you made. I think that the reporting on this I think is really interesting. I think raising the issues for discussion I think is is good. From a takeaway perspective, the piece that I hadn't thought about a lot. When taxation does happen is when something's sold. That, that that's when yes. taxation happens because that's the dollars coming in your pocket. The avoidance of the selling is something I hadn't thought about. Like people borrowing against the collateral of their stock to then take on debt and they use that to fund their lives. And so therefore the the tax is avoided, but you're effectively still spending the same money that you're you're earning. That, that's the part that I was like, oh, that's I actually hadn't thought about that before. And I think it's is kind of interesting. Now what you do with I, that from a tax perspective starts to get real messy, but I was like, Oh, I actually hadn't thought about that. Cause in my mind, it was like, you're, you're not spending the money yet. I'm smiling. Cause that's a well-known tax haven. So if I have a business worth a hundred billion bucks and I want a billion bucks right now, if I take debt for a billion bucks against my business, I'm probably, and it's Amazon, I'm probably going to get a really awesome rate. I'm not claiming that Bezos did this, but just for example sake, then i'm going to get some tax benefits on that debt that i took out because the interest is uh tax-free and everything else so yes is that the smart thing to do absolutely does that mean like even the people mentioned in this article i don't want to talk about any of their personal character but hypothetically that doesn't mean they're terrible people that just means that the tax code doesn't doesn't have a great way to account for this I mean, and it's what they they try and call out um, Buffett and Soros, I think in particular, for saying like they claim that they're down with wealthy people paying taxes, but they're not paying taxes. And yeah, what Soros and Buffett said, and even in response to um, inquiries that came from through the article, they said, basically, if you change the tax system, we are willing to pay <laughs> more tax. Yeah. However, we are paying the taxes according to what the tax system says, right? And people can argue, you know, you can, you can argue against that, but I, I think you're exactly right just one thing I think Buffett at one point even came out with like a proposal. So that said like, this yeah, is how you tax people. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's not as if he, he, he's fully supportive of this, but he's also not an idiot. He's one of the best business minds of the world. It, and he's one of the best business minds in the world by understanding how to make money. You think he's just gonna like write a check for $5 billion to the government for no reason at all. No, like, He's always about optimizing his cash flows. Why would he not do that in the tax game? Exactly. My favorite response to the inquiries was from Elon Musk. So Musk responded to an initial inquiry with a loan punctuation mark, a question mark. (laughs) He's an interesting guy. That's another great example, though. So Tesla, let's just talk about Tesla. Tesla's growing like crazy, eating all sorts of cash. And so far the stock market has rewarded that with a higher share price. Could you imagine if the U S government said, oh, you're now one of the richest people in the world, pay us this ridiculous tax based on a value of your company. That's not fundamentally tied when his company is in growth mode and they need every last dime to put into production. Do you know how much that hamstrings Tesla as a company is that they couldn't they couldn't grow. Yeah. It can't work that way. It People need to understand that these uh, paper dollar calculations are not necessarily someone's true wealth from a tax perspective. I understand that they could theoretically shell, sell their equity shares for cash at that point in time, but that's not really how it works. And when if they chose to do that, they would be taxed on that if musk sold sold all his tesla stock tomorrow his tax bill would be hefty he's not doing that and he actually couldn't do well, that either true yeah true hey you want to wrap up with one last quiz for you let's do it all right so i'm going to tell you a country you're going to tell me how relatively rich they are in terms of gdp per capita in the world when you right. say relatively, what's the what's the benchmark? Like relative to what? Uh, so it's basically all countries ranked. So I GDP just guess the number. Capita. Yeah, exactly. So okay. let's start with Australia. Thirteen. R- very good. Uh, Ten. Australia okay. is the tenth richest country in the world. Mm. How about how about the U.S.? Three. Ooh. Five. Japan. Seven. 23. I was surprised Ooh. by this. Yeah. Oh, it, it, man. Wow. You stepped off. on my tippy toes right there. I don't know how you stepped uh, on some of those tippy toes, but you just did it. <laughs> Norway. Nine. Norway's actually four. Oh, uh, okay. So all the oil, huh? Okay. Yeah. Switzerland is two. Do you know who number one is? Luxembourg. It's money, man. Canada. We're five. I'm going to go with my Norway guess. Nine. I was eighteen. A little, a little lower okay. than I expected. There so, are some uh, countries that are up in in that place that I wouldn't have expected to be like top ten. Yeah, exactly. This is IMF data. Um, top twenty five richest countries. Is there any country you're curious about that I that we should wrap with? Or should we call it Monaco? It? Are you looking at this data? It says no. there's a note at the bottom that says the IMF did not have data for Monaco, the smallest country and likely would be the richest in totality uh with the world <laughs> bank reporting their gdp per capita of 185k like you're looking at to end it right. there no I'm not, I'm not i'm just i'm guessing on footnotes gosh no, excellent right. work cool that's that's cool man. uh yeah hey hope you enjoyed this show sorry so much crypto talk today hit us up on twitter at skippy on gmail skippy at gmail.com and uh keep the feedback coming hope you yeah. enjoy the pod. And don't forget to subscribe or follow, depending on what, uh, what service you use. Peace.